Hey there, I'm Sabrina. And I'm Alyssa. And we're the co-founders of Calm Collective Asia. You're listening to Calm Conversations, a mental health podcast. At Calm Collective, our goal is to normalize the conversation around mental health in Asia through the content we create and the community we're building. And this podcast is a continuation of that mission. We will be welcoming guests from all walks of life to share their personal stories, insights, and strategies on mental health. And it is our hope that in listening to their stories, you'll feel less alone and find the courage to continue the conversation with the people around you. In our very first episode today, we're starting with Alyssa's story and going straight into the deep end of mental health. We will discuss how she's navigated through the grief of the loss of her husband, Tyler, to mental illness and how we, as friends or family, can support our loved ones as they're coping with grief. Alyssa is also, as you know, my fellow co-founder and friend, and she's been absolutely amazing in hosting our talks on mental health, and she leads Calm Collective's content marketing efforts. For instance, the beautiful illustrations you see on our socials were created by her. Before we start, trigger warning, we will be discussing the topics of death and suicide loss today. If at any point in time you feel uncomfortable, please remember that you may pause the podcast. Hey, Alyssa. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Sab. Of course. So today we're talking about your experience with grief. Where should we begin? Well, you know, the story always starts when I kind of introducing myself to someone or introducing my grief to someone as my husband passed away by suicide Mm. almost four years ago. And especially if they didn't know Tyler, I feel uneasy because they'll never really get to know the holistic perspective they'll never get to know Tyler as a person and they always will just know my husband as someone who died by suicide and so today as you know I have the chance to really fully tell the story I'd like to just take a step back and talk about him as a person so people kind of understand that this was a person who was so multifaceted Mm -hmm had a lot of life experience and so many good things about him and it's not just the bad thank you for sharing that and um you know i love to learn more about your relationship with tyler and um yeah what that was like for you yeah so it if i were to describe tyler in just like a few words i mean he was a very social person who could make friends with anybody that he met. And we'd often, if we went to a restaurant, like five minutes later, the waiter knew him, the chef knew him. They're probably inviting him to his house for dinner. Um, He was very sociable and he was always the life of the party. Um, He's also one of the best conversationalists I've ever known, probably Mm -hmm. that I still, that I ever know now. And he was also really intelligent. he graduated with a degree in law in, from Cambridge, uh, which meant that I could never, ever win an argument. <laughs> and he loved food and wine and whiskey. So what um, drew you to Tyler? I mean, he sounds like a, you know, he's, he's sounds like an amazing person. Um, but for you, when was uh, the moment you were like, yeah, this is the guy for me? <laughs> well, I don't know, but it was, there's something about him that will 
really draw you to him. Mm -hmm. uh, he's just this magnetic personality. And we met actually at a film festival through a mutual friend. And I didn't really think much, but I just thought he has, he has this like magnetic personality. Um, so I, I added him on Facebook and then he messaged me. So you, oh, <laughs> okay. So you made the first move. <laughs> I guess I did. I guess I did. Oh, but he's no. the one who messaged me. <laughs> uh -huh. Okay. Yes. Okay, yeah. cool. Wow. Oh, okay. So, I mean, of course we know what happened as you shared, um, you know, Tyler, uh, now when you introduce him and, and you talk about him, um, we know that he's your husband who unfortunately has passed away, right? So why don't you tell us more about the time you learned that he was struggling with his mental health? What was that like for you as his partner? So actually about a month in when we were dating, he told me, he sat me down and he said, you know, sometimes I have suicidal thoughts, but don't worry, I'm rational and I will never act on it. That's what he told me. And I thought at that moment, wow, um, uh, that's a, a big thing to share, mm -hmm. but thank you for sharing that with me and trusting me with that information. And at that point, he also said he had never told anybody this, not even his family, not any previous partners that he'd had, and not even his best friends knew about it. So it was crucial information that, you know, I, I was glad that he trusted me with that. And that was that kind of when he told me you know, I didn't really worry about it because he, he gave me that assurance, you know, I'll never act on it. But a few months after he told me that, you know, he had these suicidal thoughts, I really didn't think much of it until, you know, his own best friend named Cal, who you also knew, Sab, mm -hmm. died by suicide. And that was a, such a shock. Um, the two of them were actually flatmates. They lived together and they were always hanging out but they had never had this conversation about either of them dealing with suicidal thoughts or e either of them dealing with mental health. And so it came as a shock to Tyler that there, you know, that he would even entertain such a thought and act on it. Like, where did this come from? That was such a shock. And after that happened, you know, Tyler was deeply, deeply affected and he was never the same. And one thing I didn't realize, you know, now that I've gone through grief, I realized, you know, he was really grieving as well, but he didn't know how to really support himself or seek support for his own mental health to, to deal with that very heavy grief. And I mean, it's a proven fact that, you know, if someone dies by suicide, those around them are going to be negatively affected by, you know, mentally because of the grief, because, and especially if it's suicide grief. It's that much more complicated. I wish that, you know, I had known that he needed extra support. But yeah, Tyler was not someone who was really proactive with his mental health. And so it kind of just got worse and worse from there. And it progressed to a point where, you know, he started to behave recklessly. He started to kind of do things that were really detrimental to his himself. So, I mean, it could be drinking excessively eventually that turned into you know multiple suicide attempts where i'd have to stop him from jumping out the window or you know stop him from hurting himself um and so so throughout our relationship it was kind of 
there were a lot of ups and downs. There were normal days and there were also dark days where he really struggled with his grief and he really struggled in turn with his mental health. But it wasn't until about almost three years later that he finally agreed to go see a psychiatrist to get a diagnosis. By that time, I had been doing my research. I had done a lot of reading and I highly suspected it was bipolar disorder of some sort. And I kind of showed him the proof through the articles, through the research. And I said, you know, I think this might be what you're dealing with. Do you want to go see a psychiatrist? And actually the first thing that he did, the first thing he agreed to was, okay, he agreed to seeing a therapist uh, from SAMH, um, Mm -hmm. Singapore Association of Mental Health. They offer free counseling. And he decided to go see a lady but he only told her that he was having trouble sleeping. And I was like, oh, my God, really? <sighs> so it took a few more months before he gathered, again, enough courage to properly see a psychiatrist. I went with him uh, to that appointment and the psychiatrist was able to, you know, diagnose him properly and assess him and, and say, you know, I, it, I think you do have bipolar 2 disorder and this is something that you'll need medication for. And at f- because I was there uh, at that appointment with him, um, the psychiatrist asked me to also sit in with him after Tyler had a one-in-one. And he kind of talked to me to verify some facts and uh, told us about the next steps, which is, yeah, he'll need to take two kinds of medication. One uh, is a mood stabilizer. Another one was an antipsychotic. Mm-hmm. And you hear those words, antipsychotic? What? Yeah. That sounds serious. And yeah, because of that, you know, it took another two weeks before Tyler even agreed to take medication. So we, we just were like, okay, thanks for the diagnosis, thanks for the information. We'll be back. I want to give me the, he asked the psychiatrist, give me the active ingredients for these medications that you're trying to prescribe to me. I'm going to do my research um, and then we'll be back. So kind of two more weeks. Um, and then during those two weeks, something, something happened where um, I don't know, it just, again, Tyler tried to hurt himself and I, you know, we had a serious talk and I said, you know, Tyler, if you don't manage this, I'm really afraid I'm going to lose you. And so mm-hmm. he agreed to go back to the psychiatrist again, finally take the medication. And even, you know, then he was like, can you, can we lower the dosage? Mm-hmm. It was so reluctant. I think it's, it's just years of things that I, I guess society ingraining in his brain that you know medication is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, medication won't. Again, I told you he was really smart. He was really sharp. He was afraid he was going to lose that. He was afraid he was going to be walking around like a zombie. Mm-hmm. And so even after he got the medication, he was not super compliant. Like he wasn't taking it every day. Um, he he got really scared of like how sleepy it made him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just you know two weeks and. Um, then I think we had one more, we had a, a another psychiatrist appointment uh, scheduled on a Friday. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to get a blood test to see how the um, drugs were, were working on his system because apparently there is a side effect of, you know, increased risk of diabetes for one of them. And so, yeah, we, we had scheduled that appointment and Tyler said, oh, by the way, I have a friend who's 
whose birthday is on Thursday night. Mm. So um, yeah, I'm going to go out for dinner or drinks with uh, that friend and, and a bunch of friends. I said, okay, sure. I didn't really think much about it. Um, the doctor did say it's fine to have a glass of wine with the medication. It's not like such a bad thing to, but you know, I, I was kind of, I, I really disliked that the, the psychiatrist said that because there's no such thing as like a glass of wine for some people, right? Yeah. And so, you know, he took that as a mm. free for all, like, yeah, okay, I'll just keep living as I'm living with mm. medication. And that night we had dinner. I still remember I what I cooked. I had, you know, because I cooked for him, he was like, leave the dishes in the sink. I'll wash it tomorrow. So I did that. Um, and yeah, and I, I texted him late at night. Mm -hmm. 1 a.m. is probably, or maybe midnight was about the last text. I was getting sleepy. So, you know, I'll see you at home. Yeah. And then 3 a.m. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. Hi. If you want to pause, we can we can pause. Okay, deep breath. Three a.m. Um, I got a knock on the door. It was a police. And, you know, Tyler was someone. He's it's not the first time he's gotten drunk in public. So mm -hmm. I thought, you know, he's up to some shenanigans. Oh, what's the worst? Probably the worst thing is I'm gonna have to bail him out or something, and I'm gonna get so angry at him. Mm -hmm. I opened the door and and there's a police officer and he showed me his ID and he said, oh. "Do you know who this is?" I said, "Yeah, it's my husband. Where is he?" Oh. And the police officer couldn't even meet my eyes and he basically just said he's passed away really quietly like averting my glance uh, averting my eyes yeah and i i just you know so in shock i, I don't think i even was able to cry at that moment mm -hmm. but after so many years of seeing him struggle with bipolar 2 disorder um you know part of me deep down inside feared that this day would come mm -hmm. and yeah so yeah i think the first thought i had was wow he it finally happened mm -hmm. and i in a way i've actually gone through the scenario in my head multiple times because there were so many close calls but at that point i still didn't know what to do and so it was just a shock um dealing with the police officers I had to kind of get them to verify some information. And all I could think of at that point was, you know, they didn't take off their shoes as they were like <laughs> walking on, on my floor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I finally got to call my parents around 4 a.m. Yeah. And um, yeah, they they rushed to, to my place and mm -hmm. helped me sort out things. But yeah, that's how I found out. And now, it's almost four years later that Tyler's passed away. Oh my God, I need to give you a hug right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I don't think I've ever said the story in that much detail. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, yeah, Alyssa, I, I mean, of course I, I found out, you know, um, just the day after that, but it was, yeah, I, I, I found it hard to also ask what really happened, Alyssa. So thank you for sharing. 
and yeah. that detail. Yeah, because uh, I can only imagine what that was a that must have been like for you, right? Yeah, I guess that one of the hardest parts was like calling up everyone to inform yeah. them, especially especially his parents who were in Hong Kong at the time, mm-hmm. and just. I don't know if you've ever like watched the movies where, you know, someone loses somebody and, mm-hmm. you know, they, they kind of like cry immediately, <laughs> but it's in real life, it's just shock and shock mm-hmm. that hit my sister for the first few weeks. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't eat. I had like, and if anyone knows me, I love eating. I love food. <sighs> I love cooking and just mm-hmm. everything was tasteless. I had no appetite. I just, I couldn't sleep very well, obviously, um, but everything was numb. And I think I learned now that it's like the body, the brain's way of protecting you mm-hmm. is it numbs you down. And I was like wondering, why can't I cry? Mm-hmm. <laughs> why can't I cry? Why, why am I not crying like in the movies? Yeah. Um, it took a few weeks before I properly felt my grief and I could properly cry like fully. Mm-hmm. It really took a while. It was just, and also for someone who is so young, he was 29 at, at the time. I was 26. We had just gotten married in June, and that was in October. So I mean, we were newlyweds. This is not something you expect. And yeah, just like that, my life was turned around. Mm. Wow. I'm just finding the words to, you know, to kind of continue this, this conversation. What was, um, yeah, I'm curious to find out what it was like for you when you finally were able to grieve, right? Was there a turning point for you? Um, did something happen so that um, you had the space to, you know, to grieve? Something happened. I mean, I will say that my family was so supportive in giving me space to grieve that I don't know if it's a turning point. Maybe I would say a turning point in terms of like just me finally processing and being able to cry mm. <laughs> was something like trivial. I don't know if I should share this on the podcast, but let me just yeah, walk, talk yeah, through it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, basically, um, I just had to sort out some things in our finances and like, Tyler and I had agreed to put all, almost all our money, like my money into his account so mm. that it would get higher interest. And I like, so I'd done that. And then I think it was that like the bank was telling me, oh, like, you can't access any of that because um, your name is not on his account. I don't know. That really triggered me because mm. Mm. it was like, oh, we were building a life together and we were building something and then it's just gone mm. it's it's like a very tangible thing that is like oh it's no longer yours mm. and I mean I don't want to sound like money hungry. it's not a lot yeah. of money it wasn't a lot of money we were not we didn't have that much savings but like mm. once I heard that I was like all the things we had worked for together gone mm. and by the time when I came home I just I like bawled on I was like crying on the floor in my parents' room and like just like crying about that. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a I think that was my first big break breakdown. <laughs> oh wow. 
Oh man. <laughs> yeah. But then after that, um, I kind of, yeah, at night I found that, you know, it was, I was able to hold myself together during the day, but at night before going to sleep, that's when I did my crying. And so for many months, I don't even know how many months I would cry at night. And I wouldn't say that's a bad thing. And if, it, if someone is grieving, I would actually recommend, you know, giving yourself the space to cry your eyes out um, mm -hmm. and just process that grief. So I guess one good thing that I'm, I'm glad I did is I kept my grief close to me. I really felt all my emotions and I really allowed myself to feel all of it from sadness to anger to any regrets to apprehension about future, just grieving it all out. And there's so many things to process. It's not even just the loss of that person. It's like the loss of so many things at the same time. So mm -hmm. an example, we were, we had already gotten legally married, but we were also planning a bigger wedding in Bali. And I think it's, it's something everyone does these days. They have like their rom, their civil mm -hmm. wedding, and then they have like a bigger family friends wedding after and we were going to do that a year later. Well, that's something I had to grieve as well. And, you know, I had to grieve the fact that we're never going to have children. I had to grieve the fact that I had to move out of the apartment that we had rented and, you know, the furniture that the Ikea furniture that we had built together. I had to yeah. get rid of it, everything because I just don't have space when I moved back into my parents' place. Um, and so when you're really grieving so someone, you, you're grieving a thousand losses and it hits you one by one. Mm. And one day you might be crying about the person. The next day, maybe you're crying about, yeah, maybe the, the little routines that you shared or the, the what ifs and the possibilities or the trip that you envision that you'd be able to go on together. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing what grief was like for you. What did you do that helped you cope with the grief? You know, um, you were, I, I think you were really, really courageous to face that grief head on. And um, yeah, to just embrace every emotion that, that came in your way. I think that takes a lot of courage and, and not a lot of people can, can do that. I think a lot of the time we kind of repress it, right? So, yeah, I think one thing that I had dealt with in my three year or so relationship with Tyler was, you know, I had to keep his diagnosis a secret because he didn't want to share it. Um, and so, you know, whatever was happening at home, if I had just stopped him from, you know, taking his life the day before the next day, I'd have to just pretend everything was fine, not just with with everybody else like like that was it that that could be a huge thing and that that's a secret that I carried with me a very heavy secret that I carried with me for three years so after he passed away I decided you know no more secrets that stuff is difficult and mm -hmm. it just makes life harder and so I just wanted to be really open about my own experience with grief and um I also had this urge to just really tell my story and I think this is just a personal thing it's not for everyone so I, I like wrote down my what am I feeling what was my experiences like on Instagram and it was mm -hmm. to be honest it was really cathartic to do so to like write it down um was my way of also processing it and um because my situation it's kind of rare I realized there's not a lot of 26 year old widows like just hanging out mm -hmm. in Singapore <laughs> I really yeah. hope there's I mean, not I, I hope not yeah definitely yeah. 
So I couldn't find a community and I was, I was really craving though to, to find other people like me to share that experience. And I actually found it on Instagram, mm. <laughs> which very ironic. I don't know. I feel like Tyler would, would be like, why? Because <laughs> he wasn't such an, he wasn't really into social media, but I found like a hashtag where other women were sharing their stories and it really helped me to read like somebody story who is maybe one year ahead of mine to see what they had gone through. How did they process where they you know, their experience, where they were now. I learned a lot from them. And because of that, I decided to share my story as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then, I mean, lots of other women have, and also men have come up to me to to say thank you for sharing that. And it gives them hope to, you know, and hope and also knowledge, I guess, on, on how to process things um, mm -hmm. since I'm kind of maybe a year or two ahead of them mm -hmm. in this journey. Um, so that's another thing. Um, the other thing that really helped me was journaling. And I mean, the last time I had journaled before Tyler passed away was probably was when I was 10. Oh, so not yeah. really a practice that I, I was keeping in my arsenal of mental health things. Um, so it was really just, I think it came from a, a, a desire to store memories with him. And I was like, one of my biggest fears the day after he had passed away was like I'm gonna forget everything about him I'm gonna forget what mm. he looks like I'm gonna forget our conversations I'm gonna forget what he liked and so I wrote down as much as I could mm. what I wanted to store like his favorite movies and he was really particular about like his favorite movies and and <laughs> his film basically he was a, such a film buff and it was just like that was one of the things like oh, I need to write this down and to get this right um, I need to write down the recipes that you know I he never exactly told me what it was, but <laughs> oh, I think if this was this, I don't want to forget it. And it kind of stemmed from that and realized it helped me to process my emotions and to work through like, oh, okay, I'm dealing with this right now. Oh, I'm dealing with anger. Um, why, where is this coming from? And just processing that. And then, you know, at some point, um, yeah, I also realized I, I need to see a counselor and mm -hmm. oh, a funny story, I guess, on the counselor. So I was, in a taxi on my way to uh, see see the lawyer just to to deal with some of the paperwork and on the radio there came up this ad it was like have you lost your husband recently oh, wow. I was like oh, is it talking to me is that you God I don't drive a car I don't really <laughs> ride a taxi very often mm. so I was just like oh, I need to listen up what is this Mm -hmm. And um, it was an ad for this organization called We Care, which is a widow organization. Wow. <laughs> and so I contacted them after that ad. Um, basically, then they provide free counseling for widows. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, lucky. <laughs> so I was able to benefit from that organization and meet my counselor, who I also invited uh, to speak at one of our uh, talks before. So she was. I was quite lucky I hit it off with her uh, and she's the first person I had seen. So, um, yeah, she helped me to really process some of the things that I I wasn't really talking to or didn't really want to share you know, on, on Instagram or with my parents. And that that helped me uh, a lot, I would say. Mm -hmm. What do you learn from um, the process of going for counselling or how did that help you? She'd ask questions to like draw things out of me or draw me towards a certain thought process to explain what I'm thinking or why I'm feeling and then 
at the, while I'm explaining myself, I'd be like, ah, wait a second. Oh, that answers my question about that. <laughs> so in a way, it's like eye-opening. In a way, we have all the tools we need inside of us, but someone needs to draw it out or we need that objective perspective so mm. that we're not clouded by our own, you know, perceptions or, you know, mental blocks. Mm. Sounds like it was really helpful for you. Mm. So I was wondering, um, you know, I'm sure... Of course, you had your parents and probably friends and some support systems um, around you. I was wondering what was helpful for you while you were grieving. I think people just giving me the space. I, I would say my parents were a huge part of that because they really allowed me to be moody and they wouldn't like berate me for that. And in a way, they they almost worked as like shock absorbers. I, like I to this day, I, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I've definitely been angry, and I've definitely directed at them. But they kind of they're so good at absorbing, mm. <laughs> absorbing that emotion, and they know where it's coming from, and so they don't react back to it. They just let me be. Mm. So that's a big thing. Um, the other thing is like, yeah, people checking in, even like four years later, I still get people you know on tough anniversaries people checking in mm. and, you know this, this stuff doesn't go away in a, in a year time year's time uh, there were a lot of people who messaged me like in the first month or so and that will die down but I really appreciate the people who yeah four years later they're still checking in so grateful for that the other thing is um I mean some people didn't know what to say and so they just sent me like memes or like mm. animal videos and like that was that was appreciated like oh yeah. here's, here's a cute fluffy thing to perk up your day even if you're feeling like shit so <laughs> that, that also definitely helped so it's not it's not necessarily words it's just like hey i'm thinking of you mm -hmm. or you know i'm 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 here to help and yeah or i'm here to listen and mm -hmm. just doing that and, and being persistent about it that that's really helped. yeah sounds like the consistency and just uh Knowing that you're in people's thoughts, that's that's nice mm. and helpful. Well, how about, you know, on the other hand, right? What was not helpful in your journey? Yeah, so I had a bunch of like, oh, have you moved on yet? Oh. <laughs> that was from a relative who, you know, at, my counselor <laughs> has, has talked me through this, like, assume good intent. People do care about you, but they might say the wrong things because unless you've lost someone, you don't get a crash course on, on how to deal with death. Mm -hmm. Most of us avoid it. We never talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. And so naturally, we won't know what to say to other people. So I think people have this tendency to, oh, there's a problem. Let me try to say something to reduce the impact or I try to make you feel better. Um, but the truth is there's no nothing you can really say to make someone feel better aside mm -hmm. from giving them the space to process, right? And so, yeah, things like, oh, it's okay, you're young, you can marry again, or, <laughs> you know, yeah, th th those, those, in a way, like, and I could list like a thousand words here, mm. but the crux is people who try to invalidate your grief and, and invalidate your experience by minimizing it, that is not helpful. And so things like, yeah, have you moved on? Or why are you still so sad? Um, those are just not helpful things. So anything that you can say to validate the person's grief on the other hand is helpful so mm. things like that sucks i can 
understand why you feel that way. Like that's good. But um, like personally, I'm I'm also I'm a religious person. But for some, especially if they're not religious, saying things like, you know, this was God's plan, or there is the reason for this. That's also not helpful. Like I'm not that offended by that, but other people do find that very offensive. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess I can see why, right? I mean, thank you for sharing that. Um, so I guess building upon that whole, the question of how people sometimes ask, have you moved on yet, right? I, I was wondering whether grief changes over time, right? Compared to, say, three, four years ago when Tyler had passed away, um, has your experience of grief changed over time? Yeah, I think it has, but it also hasn't. We, we like to think of recovery as a linear process and healing as a linear process, but it's really not. And um, the best metaphor that I have found for grief is like waves. And I think you could read this somewhere on the internet. I, I don't know how to like <laughs> explain it in the, the best words, but it's like when you're first grieving, when you first lose someone, waves are hitting you like left, right and center. You're in the middle of the storm and like every second it's like, oh my gosh, there's tsunami waves hitting mm. me. But then, you know, as you uh, have time, as time passes, those waves are further and further apart. But, you know, as, you know, maybe there's like a period of calm and then like another wave will hit you, but it'll just be as bad as the beginning. And, you know, the longer you get through this process, you know, mm-hmm. the waves are really much further apart. So I can say that, yeah, I'll go through long periods of time where hmm, I can't even remember the last time I cried. And then all of a sudden I'd be like, why do I feel like he just died yesterday? Mm-hmm. So it's it's like really a, a nonlinear process. However, I feel like, Four years in, I have an arsenal of tools on. Mm. I know what to expect and I know how to deal with it better in a way that it won't affect my daily life as much. So like earlier in the podcast, when I was talking about like the story of his, how I found out about his passing, I didn't expect to feel like crying Mm. (laughs) because I've said that story, I mean, in many ways um, without crying in the past. So it's just, yeah, but yeah, yeah, the wound is there. It can reopen. It's always going to be something you carry with you. Mm-hmm. So with the tools that you have now, you know, when that grief comes up, what are the tools that you lean on to, to move through the grief? Yeah, one of the biggest things that helped me get through my grief is actually finding yoga. Mm. Um, that makes me sound like such a hippie. But... <laughs> There was a point where, you know, I just needed some structure and schedule into my life. And I felt mm-hmm. like there was no progress. And because I had, you know, I built this life with him. We got married, we'd moved in together. You know, we had like plans for the future. And then all of a sudden that was taken away from me. And then I was back with living with my parents. I felt like I had regressed like 20 years in my, my life mm-hmm. plan, right? And so yoga helped me and I got really into it. I was going like three, four times a week. Um, And it just gave me that structure in life to feel like, okay, I'm not progressing in my life plans, but hey, I could do a headstand now. (laughs) (laughs) And that is progress for sure. (laughs) And that is progress. So um, that kind of thing. You just need to find 
things or hobbies that will help you feel some sort of progress or pattern in life. Mm. So that's one big thing. I mean, there's a, a whole bunch of other things. Uh, drawing helped mm. me for a while. Um, meditation sometimes works for me, but I find drawing is a form of meditation in itself that you, if I'm like so lost in my thoughts, mm-hmm. um, I can actually just use, you know, I'll just focus two hours on drawing something in it, you know, that's meditation in itself. And I think it's different for for everyone, but yeah, these kind of creative pursuits and also movement. I never thought of myself as an exercise person. Um, yeah, it surprisingly really helped me. Ah, oh, really cool. And I must say that your yoga is really, really amazing. And I've so to the audience who's uh, you know tuning in, right? I I've also been to a I've gone for a one-on-one class with Alyssa, and she's great. So go for her classes if you're in, if you're in Singapore. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Many questions that are coming up, right? But uh, we only have so much time. Um, so the next question I have is: uh, so before losing Tyler, um, have you ever grieved a loved one's death before? Yeah. So I actually lost my grandmother. I think it was around twenty twelve. I am not sure if I got the year right. And then a year after Tyler passed away, mm. my grandfather passed away. And I, w- I will say it's so, it was so different. Hmm. How was it different? Well, for me, you kind of, it's kind of expected. I know everyone will die. And once you're closer to old age, it's more likely that you will die. And so <laughs> there's this expectation yeah, yeah. that, you know, you kind of have prepared yourself for the inevitability of, you know, the loss of life eventually, because, mm-hmm. you know, we're, no, nobody's immortal. Mm-hmm. And so because there is that expectation, it's not, it doesn't hit you as hard. It's kind of, you reflect back on their long life um, and the times that you had together. But for Tyler, mm-hmm. it was a shock because, and even though, you know, I knew he had bipolar two disorder, even though I knew that he had, suicidal ideation and multiple attempts I it was still a shock mm-hmm. because you never you you see the person who is healthy and young in front of you and you just cannot match like death to that person's face mm-hmm. it's just like it, it's so hard to process it that way and so it like that's one example like old age versus losing someone young and then there's losing someone through natural health concerns mm-hmm. versus you know, suicide, I think it gets even more complicated once suicide is there in the picture, because, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it was an invisible illness that, like, most people cannot see, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's just that much more shocking. Yeah, I mean, I guess also from personal experience, right, Um, just wrapping your head around a sudden traumatic death like suicide versus something that is expected, whether it's from old age or from sickness, it's, I think one processes that very, very differently. And it's even more shocking when someone is still young and youthful, right? And so vibrant. So yeah, I get where you're coming from. Um, So it's said that in the midst of loss, people find opportunities for growth, right? They always say that, okay, with every dark cloud there's a silver lining i think i got that right um would you say you've grown through your experience with grief 
Mm, I'm not, I don't love that saying because I think there's this expectation in society that, you know, with each, that each bad thing that happens to you, there's some sort of meaning or growth that you need to take out of it. Whereas I believe that losing someone just sucks. Like it doesn't have to have meaning. It doesn't have to, you don't have to derive growth from it. It just, it just can simply suck. Mm-hmm. And so to anyone listening who might feel pressured by family or friends or just society in general to like feel like they need to be a, a bigger person mm. or they need to grow out of this. Like, no, you don't. You just, you're, you, you've gone through something really difficult and it could just suck. And that's it. You leave it there. Leave it at that. So, yeah, I mean, in a way, yes, I have, but I feel like it's also because I've worked on my own mental health and I've, you know, educated myself on the whole grieving process and my, mm. my own mental health. And I've discovered in a way my own mental health, you know, to me before Tyler passed away, mental health was very much Tyler's mental health, Tyler's, you know, mental health condition and me helping him through that. I never really considered my own mental health. I never considered that as a caregiver, I also had mental health that needed to be cared for, that I could go see a counselor for that, that, you know, I could do self practice for my own mental health. Cause I thought I'm, I don't have a diagnosis. Um, I'm healthy enough. I don't need to really take care of it. But when I was grieving and even though I still don't have a mental health condition, I still had to take care of my mental health and mm-hmm. taking care of me meant that I could get through my grief a lot better. So that in that way, I, yes, I've grown in that way, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's a prerequisite to, uh, to grow out of, of yeah. your grief. Definitely. And just not having that expectation is, uh, I think it's, it's healthy, right? And sometimes mm-hmm. in life, things just suck and we just got to accept it and face it for what it is, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, you've shared a lot about how you've managed to take care of your own mental health throughout the grieving process. And of course, you've shared a lot with us about your story today. As we come to a close, um, I just wanted to ask a couple more questions. Sure. What advice would you give to someone who is newly coping with the loss of a loved one? Yeah, I think one big thing is don't keep it to yourself. Don't think that you can handle it all on your own. It's okay to ask for help and it's okay to talk about it. And I think there's this idea that people have is that I don't want to burden other people. So I'm just not going to talk to them about it and I think that's the wrong thing to do I I really felt like I had to talk about my experience my grief and I ended up doing that like quite publicly but you don't have to do that it can be find a good friend or a family member or if you don't have people within your circle who can listen and give you that space find a counselor find a therapist so one thing I learned is that Samaritans of Singapore actually does free counseling as well for bereaved people who have lost a loved one through suicide mm-hmm. um, unfortunately i only found this out like two years after <laughs> but they you, they have that plus they have a peer support uh, group so that that's something you can look into um, you simply have to call the hotline and, and ask for request for that service and they can 
um, set that up for you. Um, yeah, and, and if you're a widow like me, there's uh, We Care who, who d does something similar. Um, there are a lot of resources out there. As for help, it's probably the toughest thing you're going to have to go through in life. And it's going to be, be much harder if you think you're going to have to keep this a secret or you're going to have to go through this alone. Thanks, Alyssa, for sharing that. And we will definitely link those in the show notes. So, final question for today's podcast. How do you find calm for yourself? Hmm. So there's a lot of ways, like I was telling you earlier, like sometimes it's yoga, sometimes it's drawing. But one thing that's really helped me, and I think it's linked to, I was having a conversation with my friends the other day on what are our different love languages? And mine is words of affirmation. And I think because of that, what has really helped me is self-affirmation. And mm -hmm. if ever I'm feeling kind of down, I tend to berate myself. I have this tendency like, oh, you're terrible at this. You suck. You're not doing enough. And like when I was doing a lot of learning on mental health, I realized like words of self-affirmation sounds like this kooky, hippie thing, <laughs> but it really works. And I think it's because like I do derive, you know, my, my love language is words of affirmation. And so if I can tell myself good things, like, tell myself that I'm strong and I can get through this or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I actually, I do believe it and I feel a lot better. So yeah, that's what it, that's what my way to find calm. Great. Thank you so much, Alyssa. Thanks, Sab. You've been amazing and really brave and courageous in sharing your story with us. So I'm so happy to have you as my co-founder. thanks, Sab. friend. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Calm Conversations. If you liked today's conversation, make sure to follow this podcast. We have a lot more interesting conversations lined up dealing with many different aspects of mental health from an Asian cultural lens. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Telegram, or Facebook to find out when we're releasing our next podcast episode or hosting our next talk. You can look us up as Calm Collective Asia or go to our website www.calmcollective.asia. This podcast is supported by the National Youth Council, the Youth Action Challenge, and Youth Collab. Also, a huge thank you to Snakeweed Studios who are helping us record and produce this podcast. See you next time. Until then, stay calm.